0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading is found in 1st Peter 5 verses 8 through 14 and I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love and peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, music team, for leading us. Allison, thank you for those songs. Good morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you here this morning. I'm Pastor Jeff Gangle, and uh, sounds like quite an echo. Is that just me, or we're, getting, we're working on that? Okay. Um, coming to you from inside the cave this morning. <laughs> so glad you're here. I, I hope you were really paying attention as we sang those songs, beautiful songs, but also amazing words, and so fitting for this, our last uh, message in the book of 1 Peter, we started with our theme song, right? We've sung that a number of times through this, That uh, this, um, uh, this promise of God, Jesus Christ, our living hope, and then moving right into Jesus as our cornerstone, our rock, our foundation, and then knowing and saying the promise that he has hold of us, he will hold us fast, and uh, just great promises throughout that. And you saw, the, hopefully, the thing that tied them all through, every, I think every song mentioned the grace of God that carries us through. So let's uh, pause for a minute, let's uh, go to the Lord one more time in prayer, make sure our hearts are ready to receive what He has for us today. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank You for this time together, thank You for bringing us together in worship, thank You for the beauty of this day that You've created for us. And we thank You for Your Word, where You have very specifically revealed Yourself to us and maintained, kept that revelation firm and solid, protected throughout the years, throughout the centuries to bring it to us today. And so, Lord, I pray that we would never take that for granted, that we have your precious words to go to when we want to know about life and history and eternity and and about you and what you've done for mankind in this world, your work, your plan of salvation, all of it. You've revealed it to us in your Word. So thank you for that this morning, and as we come to your Word, we ask that you would then speak to us in very personal ways, that as only you can do. Lord, I pray for my words, help me to accurately, rightly communicate what you have for us, but ultimately, Lord, it's, it must be your living spirit and your living Word that works to personalize and, and speak that message to us, to our hearts, and call us out to respond to you. So Lord, this morning, whether we need encouragement from you, whether we need a warning about something, whether we need just tender care and comfort from you, whatever, Lord, we ask that you would speak that, give that to us as we come to you today, and that we in turn would give you the worship that you alone deserve. So Lord, receive our worship as we come to your word right now. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen. This past week, Beth and I were watching one of these nature shows on television, and um, we don't watch a lot of this, but just happened to come on this one. They had a scene, you've probably seen something like this, where there was a pack of lions that were attacking a herd of rhinos. Now, that's a, it's a pretty good um, fight between the two. They both have their own ways, and, and, but it really wasn't the lions coming after an entire herd of rhinos, there was one baby rhino that had strayed from the herd, and that's who they found. And so, just one shot of this: a picture of this, this lion attacking this baby rhino. And the baby rhino, of course, knew it was in trouble. It's trying to make its way back to the herd, but it was too far away. And even a a baby rhino has pretty a pretty tough hide. And it can resist a lot, but eventually, if those lions were getting at it and sinking their teeth in, this baby rhino was not going to last long. So it's culling it's, its way along, trying to get back to the herd, making all kinds of noise while the lions are attacking. And finally, the herd sees, they get close enough to the herd, someone I was going to say someone in the herd, I don't know, you call rhinos a someone? I don't know. But they heard the noise or saw this, and so the whole pack of these other larger rhinos move toward the baby and began defending it. You couldn't even tell which one were the parents. It didn't matter. It was the herd that came. And with their tusks, you know, they began to fend off the lions, and they created a circle. They put the baby right in the middle of them and kept their horns to the outside until the lions finally gave up. They they didn't have a chance anymore once the herd had come around that baby. Those older rhinos had learned how to defend themselves from these predators. And as we come to this last section in, in 1 Peter, we're wrapping up the study of this book that we've been in the last few months. Peter gives us really a serious warning about our prowling enemy, the devil, the lion, the roaring lion, as Peter calls him here, who would love to separate us from the herd and take us down. And so Peter brings this warning, but at the same time, he reiterates his theme that's been there throughout the book, this theme of living hope, and he reminds us of what we have in Christ, and he reminds us that the God of all grace has our back, that even when we go through times of suffering, even when we get attacked by the enemy, God is there, and we can stand firm in our faith in Him, and He will give us the strength to stand firm. And so in this last part of the letter, I would just encourage you to hear this today. I think it's so important for us, first, to recognize the enemy's tactics. We need to know what the enemy does to pull us down. But then we also need to know that we can trust God's grace to keep us standing, to get us through His ability to help us in those difficult times and to make us stronger in those times. So I invite you to take your Bible, please, if you have Your Bible, hard copy, it's 1 Peter chapter 5, near the end of the New Testament. If you have your phone or electronic device, you can pull it up there. Follow along as we go through this, and we'll put some other parallel verses on the screen as we go through as well. It really just two points this morning, and they're how-to points today. First, how to resist a roaring lion, the enemy, the devil. And then second, how to be restored by God's grace. Here's the first, how to resist a roaring lion. Verse 8, look again at how Peter says this. Be alert and of sober sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Very picturesque terms. So, about five years ago, I went on a mission trip to Tanzania and had the opportunity to do something very different. Usually, I've only seen this on shows, on on television, but... Tanzania is known for its wildlife parks, these, these uh, safari parks, and one of the days on that mission trip, we were able to go out to one of these parks and go through it. And I was so excited about this, really anticipating it, but we didn't go in one of these safari jeeps like you usually see in the, the specials on television, you know, where you're standing up in this jeep, and, and you have the guides, and, and, and they're kind of your protectors, and you're, you're up above everything and able to look out over the Serengeti. No, we were in a friend's old used SUV, <laughs> And so here's a couple pictures, you know, giraffe running across the road in front of us, and and I'm hanging out the window taking pictures. Just so amazing to see wildlife in their natural setting so close. But I also couldn't get rid of the little thought in the back of my mind of here we are out in this Old SUV, I don't, I don't know how, long, how, how good this thing is or it's going to break down. And hey, We're in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing. There's, there's not an Exxon station down at the next, uh, the next crossroads. There's nothing out there. And I was just beginning to picture, you know, what if, if we break down, we get surrounded by a pack of hungry hyenas or something, you know, after us. It's just I was a little bit more aware and alert of my surroundings because I was so unusual, and I knew there's some danger around this. These are wild animals. They don't call them that for for no reason. That's what Peter is saying. He's saying, you're in a wild kingdom of your own on earth, a spiritual wild kingdom. And there is an enemy. There's a wild animal out there that is looking for you, a predator, a roaring lion, he says. And so Peter is... He says, don't ignore the devil's schemes. Don't get spiritually lazy. Don't get distracted. you got to stay alert, sober mind. you got to be ready because this is an enemy that's dangerous. Why is he dangerous? Because he attacks. And Peter makes that pretty clear in this description. He's, he's saying, don't, don't lose your focus and don't get separated from the herd. The words here that Peter uses tell us a lot about our enemy. He uses that word itself. He calls him an enemy. The name devil is actually the Greek form of the name. The Hebrew form is Satan. You've seen that. Those are essentially interchangeable. It means slanderer, accuser, one who brings false charges. So just in the name, you know that this is an enemy. And then Peter, of course, adds this whole word picture of a prowling, hungry, roaring lion Reminding us that the devil hunts us down, he'll stalk us, he's ready to pounce, he's ready to devour. It's really, and intentionally, a frightening image that Peter's painting here because he wants us to take this seriously. You have a real enemy who would love to destroy you. What does he say about Satan's tactics? well just by the image he uses we know that he is against us always against us not for us that he will accuse us he will try to strangle you with guilt he will come after you aggressively and notice that peter ties it to the suffering now we talked about this last week again we don't know what all the suffering was that the the readers were going through who first received this letter but Peter is saying a lot of times when we suffer as believers, when we suffer for the cause of Christ, it's because the enemy himself is attacking. And here he says it very specifically. There's a good summary of what the Bible says about Satan's activities that I want to show you, and if you're home watching, you'll see this on your screen. We'll put it on the screens up here. This is just pulled from a number of different Scripture passages, and <clears throat> probably not time to write it all down. You can go back and pick up this on our website, or we'll maybe send this out if you're on our um, email list so that you have this in hand. It's a really good summary. Here's what Satan does. Here's his activities according to to the Bible. Seeking to provoke us to sin, ranging the world to find victims, causing some of the earth's physical illness, spiritually blinding unbelievers, shooting flaming arrows, hindering, seeking to devour, undermining the Word, wanting to take advantage, transforming himself into an angel of light. In, In all these ways, the Bible says this is how He comes after you. got to be aware, got to be alert. But the Bible also says there's a limitation to this so that we won't just fear this enemy, and Peter's going to go on to tell us that too, but here's a few other places where we see that God has limited Satan's activity even on this earth. He must receive permission from God. His head has been crushed by Christ already. He can be resisted. He can be overcome, and he is overcome by the blood of the Lamb, and he cannot touch those begotten of God. So, there are limitations to what he can do, but he can still attack. He can still pull us down. So this is what he tries to do. Satan sows discord in churches. He can sow discord in marriages. He can try to pull apart families. He'll stir up in us anger, hatred, jealousy, pride, immorality, gossip, doubt. In all those ways, Satan can tempt us and attack us, so we need to be alert and of sober mind. That's the first warning. But Peter goes on, because what if if he still attacks? Just because we're aware doesn't mean he won't attack. And so verse 9, Peter says, Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So Peter says, hey, if he attacks, resist him. And in some ways, that seems almost too simplistic. I mean, Peter, you've just described him as a roaring lion that devours. Just resist him? If you go to a parallel passage, because it seems almost like James and Peter were kind of on the same wavelength here, because James in James chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So you have the same kind of wording, resist him, resist the devil. But James helps us because he puts it in the context of submission to God. He says, submit to God and resist the enemy. Now, this fits with Peter's context too, right? We've been studying this all the way through. How many times have we talked about what Peter is saying regarding submission in our lives? And so that really has to be a key here, to resist the enemy means that we, are, we submit to God. Don't resist God's work in your life or you may be submitting to the devil's work. When we move away from him, we may be putting ourselves, making ourselves vulnerable to Satan's attacks. However, on the other side, is true too. When we submit ourselves to God, when we put ourselves under him in obedience to his word, then he is there to help defend us and help us resist the attacks of that roaring lion. Let me put it in another context for you. Let's say you're, you're walking with a little child, a little toddler. It's your child, a grandchild, and, and you're taking that child along, and you see in the distance coming down the other way toward you a stray dog. You don't recognize this dog, there's no owner, there's no leash. Now, you don't know from a distance whether that dog is friendly or mean. And so, out of caution, you would say to that child, stay here by me. You don't go toward that dog on your own. Don't go pet the dog. You just stay here beside me. Now, if that child pulls away, goes running to that dog, disobeys you, does not submit to you, runs, then that child is making himself or herself vulnerable to possible injury. If the child submits and obeys and stays by your side, you are there to help protect, to help resist any potential danger. And and this is what Peter is describing. here. He's saying, resist the devil. And you do that by submitting to the one who can protect you. Submission and resistance, they go together. Peter says more, though, because there's more to it. We need to be in the right position, submitting to God so that we can resist the enemy. But then he says, standing firm in the faith. Standing firm in the faith. Surely Peter's referring to all that God's Word has to say about our faith. He just kind of mentioned that, the faith, what we believe, what we know about God from His Word. And so we resist the devil by taking our stand on God's Word, which is exactly what Jesus did when He was Tempted in the desert. When the, when the devil attacked him, what did he do? He quoted Scripture. He used the Word to resist the enemy. And Peter's calling us to say the same thing. Stand firm in your faith, in God's Word. Paul says it too, Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The only way you're going to be able to stand is if you're standing on the truth of God's Word. So, to resist the lies of the enemy, which is the primary way he attacks, remember, he he is the accuser. He brings false accusation. We saw that in his very name. Well, to resist those lies, we must have the truth and stand on the truth. So, for instance, some examples of this Satan will tell you that you are forsaken, the Bible says you are loved. That's the truth. The enemy throws out the lie that you are guilty. The Word says, but you are forgiven. The devil points out your weaknesses. The Bible says you are strong in the Lord. Satan wants you to feel alone. God says he will never leave you or forsake you. The devil leaves you feeling defeated. God's Word says we have the victory in Christ. So the truth... Stand firm in your faith, the truth of God. But then Peter reminds us that we're not alone in that stand. So he says, there are believers all over the world who are also suffering this same attack of the enemy. This is not just you. Draw strength from that. Don't be separated from the herd. Our strength in taking a stand against the enemy comes from the truth of God's Word and the fellowship of God's people. Both aspects Peter weaves into this verse. It's the strength of God's Word. It's also the fellowship of God's people. That's our strength to stand. Let me take you to another key incident in the life of Peter. Uh, we've done this throughout, right? Almost every Sunday when we t- we've looked at First Peter, we go back to the Gospels. There's something in Peter's life and his experience with Jesus that shows us why he wrote what he did. And I think here is the same, same occurrence. So, it's the night of the first communion. We'll be celebrating the Lord's table shortly here this morning. The first time Jesus comes and He's, he's celebrating the Passover with His disciples, and He invests it with this whole new meaning. And in the process of that dinner, that Passover, Jesus begins to tell them what's going to happen, and they're going to fall away. And Peter says, No, Lord, not me. Everybody else might might walk away from you, but I I will be there. And here's what Jesus says in Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. That is just extraordinary words from Jesus. He's going to pray for Peter. And all this happened that very night, of course, right? They go out to the garden, and and Jesus is arrested, and the disciples flee for their lives. Peter follows along from a distance. He comes to the courtyard of the high priest, and he denies that he even knows Jesus. So did he fail? Did Peter's faith fail? Was the, the prayer that Jesus offered for Peter not effective? No, it was. It was effective because though Peter failed, his faith did not because he later came back. He was sorry for his sin. He repented. He was restored by Jesus. And now as he writes these words in 1 Peter, he is doing exactly what Jesus prayed would happen. He's strengthening his brothers and sisters. And he can do that. He can say this about the attacks of the enemy because it happened to him. Because he knows exactly how this goes, because he felt that attack personally. He experienced the roaring lion and he survived the attack. He was restored. And that leads us right to the second point today, which is also what Peter experienced how to be restored by God's grace, how to be restored by God's grace. So verse 10 is an amazing summary of the whole book. If there's just one verse that you want to memorize out of 1 Peter that kind of helps you remember the whole message, this would be it. Chapter 5, verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So there's really two vital truths right here just in verse 10. The first is to remember that for those who are in Christ, your suffering is only temporary. Peter says it's for a little while. But the glory that is promised, the glory of heaven, that is forever. So he's kind of making this contrast here. He's saying, don't forget about this, that our pain and suffering, yes, we experience pain and suffering here on this earth, but it's just temporary. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, that is an eternal relationship. We will share in that glory forever. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. So since the eternal glory that's to come, we know it outweighs any any difficulty, any burden that we bear right here now in this life on this earth. Paul says, fix your eyes on that. What is to come? What is unseen? What is eternal? But how do we do that? It seems like an oxymoron, right? To fix your eyes on something that cannot be seen. Let me give you an illustration of this. And I've I think I've shared a little bit of this, but maybe to illustrate something different. So, it'll sound a little familiar, but different at the same time. So, when I was a teenager, uh, one of my jobs I did as, as a teen, and a lot of guys do, mow lawns in our neighborhood. And this is in, this is Miami, Florida, South Florida. So, uh, so, hot, hard work some of those days, doing multiple lawns, and, and I had a routine to kind of reward myself at the end of, of one of those kind of work days. So I would go home and get an ice-cold RC Cola. Anybody, anybody remember RC? You don't see it around much anymore, but that was my favorite, RC Cola. And we had a little swimming pool in the back of our yard like most houses do in South Florida. And so I would go home, get that ice-cold RC, and get in the swimming pool and just kind of lay back in the cool water and drink my RC. That was my reward. But while I was out mowing, I couldn't see the RC Cola or the pool. I couldn't see it. I could only see it in my mind's eye. I knew what was coming. I knew the plan. This was my routine. But knowing that, seeing that, waiting for that, anticipating that is what often would help get me through the long hours of pushing the mower out in the heat. And Peter's kind of saying the same thing. He's saying... Don't forget. Remember what's to come. Remember what's been promised to you. That even though you may be in the heat and the struggle of life on earth, you may be going through suffering and hardship right now. But what is unseen? What is yet to come? What has been promised to you? The glory of heaven. Fix your eyes on that. Don't forget about that. God's promised us a home. Where there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more sin, no more death, all that we dream about, that's our promise. That's the glory that will surround us forever. So when the suffering and troubles of this world weigh heavy on you, this is what Peter is saying, remember the eternal glory God has promised you. Always go back to that. Read it in Scripture. Go back to those promises. Remind yourself of that. Pray for that. When the burden is heavy, see what is unseen. But again, Peter is is asking for more. He's pushing us to do more. Not just close your eyes and imagine a better future, okay? You you could misunderstand that. If you just stop right there, okay, when things get bad, just close my eyes, just imagine heaven and that'll get me through. That's not all he's saying. We do need to remember that. But he's also saying there is hope and purpose in our suffering here and now. So there's both sides of this. There's both of these principles in this particular verse, in verse 10. So earthly suffering is temporary, but also there's a purpose in our suffering right here and now. Something to learn from it. Notice how Peter refers to God in verse 10. He says he calls Him the God of all grace. So we serve a God who is constantly showing us undeserved favor, who is giving us what we do not deserve, and we need to hold on to that title. Maybe we need to use that more often in our prayers and our discussion about God. The God of all grace, that's who He is. The God of all grace, that's who we serve. So how does He show the grace? Well, Peter says that even even in our suffering, God is at work to accomplish His purposes. He's got a plan. And and notice how personal this is. Uh, I love the way Peter describes this. And the God of all grace will Himself. (laughs) Peter's saying, God's not farming this off to somebody else. He will Himself minister to you, help you, encourage you. He will be involved in your life directly, personally. What does He do? Well, here's where He goes on. Peter says, He will Himself restore you. He will restore you. And this is such a rich word. So notice what, this, what's, what all is involved in this word that Peter uses. The word literally means to make complete or to put in order. But it was used in, in a number of different settings. So like For In a a medical kind of setting, to, to set a broken bone. That's how this word would be used, to restore it. Or to mend a fishing net. You're going to restore that net, put it back together. So when you go through a difficult time, Peter is saying, for God's sake, you're suffering because of your faith. God will mend you. He will put things right. He will restore. That suffering that you're going through will actually end up equipping you better preparing you, restoring you so that you can be even more effective for God's purposes. I mean, that, that's a beautiful thought. And I, I have to think, since Peter, we know Peter was a fisherman, right? So he had to have that sense, that use of the word in his mind as he uses it here. So I, I picture Pete, Peter like this. You know, he's got his fishing net. He pulls it out, pulls the fish out, and and maybe, maybe often, had to go back in and weave in some other rope and line and, and fix the holes from each time being out fishing. He was constantly restoring, mending his nets so that they would be effective in their use. And Peter's saying, that's what God does for us, even in our trials, that God has us in His gracious hands, carefully carefully, gently weaving those strands of rope together in our lives so that we come out stronger, more useful to Him in the end. Which is exactly what Peter says next, the end of this verse. God will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Three great words here. <laughs> strong, firm, and steadfast. It's not where you expect to land after suffering and struggle, right? Right? But that's exactly where we land when God is at work in it. He will make you strong, firm, and steadfast, strong to endure whatever the trial is, steadfast and sure on a firm foundation when you come out of it. But to do that, for that to happen, we need to let God restore us so that we will grow stronger. We have to trust Him in that work that He wants to do in the middle of the struggle. Let's say Beth comes home one day and she She's been out in the garden, and she comes in, and she says, I fell when I was tripped on a rock, and I think I broke my arm. And it's obvious. I mean, her arm is twisted, something, something weird or bent in the wrong way. And I said, well, let's, we gotta, let's get you to the hospital. Let's get you to the emergency room, to the doctor, something. We need to get... No, 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 no. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I'm going to be fine. <laughs> Are you feeling the pain? Yeah. And... If we didn't do something about it, if you don't set a broken bone, it might eventually stop hurting. It might heal, but it will heal wrong. It will heal out of place. The arm will be misshaped. It will be weak. It won't be as useful. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying, when you have a struggle, don't push God away. Let Him be at work in your life to restore, to reset that bone to mend that net so that you are stronger for it. Such a great lesson. So Peter then launches into a benediction in verse 11. And this time he's really coming to the end of the book. <laughs> Not quite, but almost. This is about the third benediction he's given in the book. He says, To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. But that's not a throwaway line, folks. It's not just, hey, I'm wrapping up this letter, to him be the power. No. He is reminding us, if we're going to let God do this work in us, if he's going to be able to defeat this hungry, roaring lion, the enemy, if he's going to be able to help us stand, if he's going to restore us when we're down, all that takes the power of God. It can only come in the power of God. Peter is reminding us, to him be the power. He has the power. All power forever. So He's the one we must go to. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So what does Peter said at the end here? We have an enemy who attacks. He persecutes the flock of God. But in God's strength, we can resist Him and we can be assured that God can and will restore us as we put our faith in Him, as we trust Him. And one day, He will completely, forever, defeat that enemy, and we will be with Him in His eternal glory. That's the promise. So Peter ends his letter with some greetings, some final words. He talks about Silas, who that name should sound familiar to, a missionary partner of Paul in the book of Acts. He's helped Peter with this letter. Maybe he wrote some of it. Maybe Peter takes the pen from him at the end here and writes these personal greetings himself. Paul often did the same thing. Maybe, maybe Silas delivered the letter. These were maybe some of the same areas that he'd been in before in Asia Minor. And Peter then goes on to send greetings from she who is in Babylon. Who's that? Did Peter, have a friend, a relative, somebody in Babylon that's there? No, this is, this is kind of a hidden reference to the church in Rome, as best we can tell. The she is the church. Babylon was a name used in those days as we get kind of the persecution ramped up against the church, against believers. Babylon was a name used for Rome as kind of the seat of the enemy's power, of Rome's power in persecuting the church. She who is in Babylon, the church in Rome, greets you, and well as Mark, probably John Mark. His son, not literally, but his son in the faith and the, the author of the second gospel may be written with Peter's input. And then Peter says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Obviously, pre-COVID here, you know, <laughs> we're talking about. Now maybe he would say, greet one another with a fist bump or an elbow bump, whatever. But the point is, be loving one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Be the body of Christ. And I want to close by taking you back to verse 12. I think this is a summary of the whole purpose of the letter right here, verse 12. To encourage believers and to testify to the true grace of God so that we will stand fast in it. That's what it's about. So if you come away from this book with just one thing, one thing that you remember, one takeaway, I hope it's more after all these weeks in 1 Peter, but if you just get one thing This should be it. Because of God's amazing grace, you have a living hope in Jesus. And so stand firm in that. You don't need anything else. There is nothing else you need in your life. He has it all. He can provide it all. In fact, next week we're going to move right on into the study of 2 Peter. We're going to move right into Peter's second letter. And we've chosen as the title for that series, All You Need. Because just like he talked about living hope at the beginning of 1 Peter, at the beginning of 2 Peter, third verse he says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. All that we need. So as we come to this end and prepare for that book study next week, That's where we need to stand. That's where you need to camp. That's where you need to be. Recognizing that all you need is in Jesus himself. Don't rely on anything else. Don't long for anything else. Don't reach for anything else. Jesus Christ, in his grace, has all that you need. Let's bow our heads in prayer. As the worship team comes to lead us and our song that we'll close with, and let 's take a moment to prepare ourselves for communion because this time that 's coming is very important, and whether you 're watching at home or whether you 're right here in the room here this morning, this uh, this maybe needs just to be a responsive personal prayer. You can do that right where you are. maybe this morning it 's a realization that you are under attack maybe you're feeling it the enemy the lion is attacking you he's got his teeth sunk into you in some way and you need God's help in resisting him freeing you from his grasp then maybe that's your prayer this morning that's your response say Lord protect me Lord save me Lord help me submit to you and resist the enemy and stand firm in your word in the truth that's your prayer that's a great prayer Or maybe this morning it's just the realization that God's grace, that you desperately need God's grace, and you need Him to restore you this morning. And if that restoration is something that you desire, this is the perfect place and time for it as we come to the table. This is what Jesus did so that you could be restored. He went to the cross and died for your sin. So that restoration comes in confession of sin. And of receiving God's grace into your life and your heart and your experience right now. So maybe that's your prayer. If so, just say, God, restore me. By your grace, restore me. Make me strong and firm and secure once again. Let me just give you a moment. Whatever that prayer needs to be in preparation for the Lord's table, just pray that silently right where you are. Lord Jesus, as we come to your table, it's a reminder to us to be alert and aware, to make sure we're watching, resisting the enemy's attacks, and leaning heavy on your grace and your goodness to restore us. So, Lord, we ask that you would do that work in us, forgive us of our sin, make us right, renew us, equip us, restore us this morning. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for paying the price for our sin. Thank you for making a way for us to have that promise of eternal glory, that though our suffering and our difficulties may be, may be difficult right now, maybe our struggle right now, that one day you will make all things right. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for the cross that secures that promise. Thank you for the empty tomb that secures life for us forever. And, Lord, as we come to your table this morning, we come with thanksgiving, come with hearts of praise and appreciation for what you've done for us. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for our sin. Thank you for defeating the enemy and raising up your family. All this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior.